All right, so Matthew 28, I want to jump into the talk today. Uh, before we do, I just want to pray and just say thank you to the Lord for all he's done. I want to acknowledge him. He gets the glory today for sure. Jesus, thank you for uh, these past six years. Your faithfulness is evident, your patience. Um, God, we have been transformed, no question about it. And God, you get the glory today. You get the glory for the giving. You get the glory for all the lives that have been transformed or changed or impacted. Uh, those that are watching online, those that uh, will see this in years to come, maybe even, God, you get the glory. And today is all about you, Jesus. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing it to us. And Father, today I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds and our ears and we would receive from you uh, the, the word that you have for our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, here we go. So Matthew 28, 19, and I've titled the message today, What We Do. We're in a series called All Things Church. And this series, I felt the Holy Spirit uh, speak to me and say, you know, want to do a talk on uh, where we were as a church, but really like, what do we do as a church? And so this is a very, I hope, practical teaching today in a way that, and I hope that you find it helpful and go, okay, well, I didn't think of that, but now that makes sense. And so today, since we're in the series, All Things Church, I want to unpack what we do as a church universally, and then what we do as a church here within Brave Church family. And so um, I just, I hope that you find this helpful today, and uh, I trust that, that you will. So, all right, Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples, if you want to highlight that in your Bible, new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Make disciple, that phrasing is a Greek word, and we put it up, mathetuo, which means to teach or instruct. It can also mean to be a disciple. And I've talked on this before that the Hebrew word for disciple was a Hebrew word called Talmid, T-A-L-M-I-D, which uh, really behind the word Talmid, I think you really get a picture of what it meant to be a disciple. Uh, but the word stressed a relationship between the rabbi and his disciple. A Talmid of Jesus' day uh, would give up his entire life in order to be with his teacher. It was not enough just to know what the rabbi said, but... The foremost goal of any Talmud was to become like the rabbi and to do what the rabbi did. So it wasn't just to have knowledge of, of the rabbi, it was to be like the rabbi. And so every follower of Jesus is on the same mission. We call it the Great Commission, or I would just hyphen there, co-mission. We're in a co-mission, the church, every Every believer, every follower of Christ is on the same mission, and that is to make disciples. This is what we do. You know, we, universally, as the body of Christ, are called to make disciples. And so God has given the church this body, this mission. And the mission, by the way, has never changed. It's forever. The culture changes, but even though culture changes and times change and geography and different parts of the world, it's still the same goal to make the disciples. This is what we do. We make disciples. And that mission came right from the top. Jesus is the head of the church. So then the question becomes, what is a disciple, right? Like, what is it then? And how do you make one? You put them in the oven for 325 for 12 to 15 minutes. Uh, how do you go about that? What do you what do? You do? Well, I hope to answer some of these questions uh, for you today. If you want to be a disciple, how do you know if you're a disciple? You know, Jesus never referenced Christians. Jesus never once called his followers Christians, called them disciples. And they were disciples. That's what they were. 
Christians was Christanos, was a derogatory term used by people who didn't even follow Jesus. They would say, look at those Christanos. And so I just propose to you that if you're a Christian, I would encourage you to change your vernacular and say, you know, the truth is actually I'm a disciple. Or at least ask yourself, am I a disciple? You know, and so that's what we're going to talk about today because that's what we're on a mission to do. And it makes sense to talk about the mission of the church since we're in our church anniversary. And so kind of come back to the whole mission of the church. So if the goal of the church is to make disciples, then we better know what a disciple is and what a disciple is not, and then how we go about making these disciples. All right, so I'm going to give you five biblical truths for discipleship. The first one is born again. Born again. You must be born again. All right, John 3, 1 through 7 says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. So this is a smart guy. He's educated in scriptures. It says, After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus, the rabbi, and he said, We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, what do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into the mother's womb? I love that question. And be born again. Jesus replied, he wasn't wasn't a fool. He was a very smart man. It's actually, the question actually, actually makes very good sense. But Jesus replies back, he says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I tell you you must be born again. The Greek word for again is a word that if you just read it at first glance, you think, well, that means twice, but the word again means from above or from a higher place. You know, and so it's, it's from something that's outside of our human realm context. In other words, Jesus is saying this is something you can't do yourself. If Jesus said, go wash yourself, you must be washed, then, then men would be tempted to go wash themselves and think, well, I took a bath, I've got to be saved now. But Jesus says, no, you've got to be reborn, and you can't birth yourself. Right, church? So, so this is something you can't do by yourself. This is something that can be done outside of you. That's why he uses the idea of birth. If you think about it like this, if a nation were to pass a law that said you could only live in that nation if you were birthed in that nation, if that were the case, no one could live there unless you were born there. Wouldn't matter if you spoke the same language, if you wore the t-shirt, if you waved the flag, if you checked the box, if you sang the national anthems. It wouldn't matter because All that would be required for you to be able to live in that nation would be, you have to be born there. And Jesus says you must be born again to enter and to see both of those, to see the kingdom, to enter the kingdom, probably likely the same thing, to enter and to see it. He says it's going to be born of water and the spirit. There's a lot of debate on this one. But born of water, for some, they think he's referring to a physical birth, like as a baby that sits in a womb, sits in a sack of water, if you would. And he's referring to a physical birth, or some believe he's referring back to the Old Testament where there's cleansing and washing and ceremonial whole thing and and all the purification that happened in the Old Testament, that that's what he's referring to. Uh, Not sure exactly which one it is, but it's debatable for both. But here's what I do know. He is not mentioning the word baptism here. In other words, baptism is not a requirement for salvation. We don't believe that at all. We don't see that in Scripture. What we do see is that And we'll get to that in just a minute. He says, be born of water and born of the Spirit. Pointing to the fact that only something like the Holy Spirit can do. Only the Holy Spirit can cause rebirth in you. 
So what is clear is baptism is not mentioned here, which helps us know that baptism is not a requirement for salvation. The one condition for salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, over a hundred times in the New Testament, faith or belief is declared to be the sole condition for salvation. You see that in Ephesians 2. Saved by grace through faith. Faith alone. It's faith that saves us. All right, the number two, uh, I would say, truth for biblical discipleship is baptism. Now, I'm not saying that um, baptism is a requirement for salvation. I just said, you know, that's not a requirement for salvation. However, I do think, I don't know if the word requirement would be the right word, but I certainly think that disciples should chase after baptism, desire baptism, and I'll show you why. All right, Matthew 28, 19, we'll go back to the text. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. There it is, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another verse, and I could pull out lots of verses, but I'm only going to use one more. Romans 6, 3 through 4. Paul writes, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? We don't literally die, do we? Well, please don't. Today, if you're getting baptized, that'd be great if you could not do that. It says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious Father, now we also have new life. So do you actually literally die when you go under the water and then come up with an actual new life? No, this is symbolic, right? It's a symbol of the faith that we've carried. So Paul here is not saying baptism is a requirement for salvation. That would mean the work of baptism would be a requirement, which it can't be since we're saved by faith alone. So you can't have faith because of a work because that would be that your work determines your faith, your salvation, and it doesn't. We're saved by grace alone. So what is baptism? And why would Jesus want his disciples to be baptized? Why is that such a big deal? In fact, I hear many people today, I've heard many people saying, well, I'm not ready yet. You follow Jesus? Yes, I am, but I'm not ready for baptism. Okay, if that's you, and I, I just, I highly encourage you to, to listen in to this because I encourage you to change the way you think about baptism then. The moment you decide to follow Jesus, Truly, you are ready to be baptized. Okay, in biblical times, a person, the idea of baptism, where it comes from, it wasn't just a Christian thing alone, although Christianity, of course, is a big part of it, but a person who converted from one religion to another was often baptized to identify with that particular conversion. And so it was a way of going public about the person or the thing, whatever it may be that you followed. And so the minds of apostles and disciples in early biblical times when they're writing this, the idea that someone would not want to go public with their faith didn't make any sense at all. In fact, for them, they thought if you don't go public with your faith, you really have no faith at all. How could you declare faith, but you're not willing to go public with it? So baptism, necessary for salvation? No. But should it be a part of salvation? Yes, it's certainly implied in Scripture. It indicated having true faith. Think about a married couple. A uh, married couple come together and exchange vows, and there's a covenant they share. I promise to do this and this and this and forever do his part and all this beautiful ceremonial thing, and then they become married together, but then they have these rings on their finger. In our culture, we wear, you know, rings. Most of us all, all know that, see that, or tattoos. If you want to get the tattoo, you can. Uh, and so anyways, but, but we put these rings on, some way of identifying of the decision we made. Now, here's the thing. Does the ring mean you're married? Does the ring marry you? No, it's not the ring that marries you, right? It's the covenant you made. But the rings are symbolic for the decision and covenant you made with one another. 
Let me put it like this, and, and, the, and the easiest way that I can think about this to help you understand the importance of baptism, and if somebody says, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't know if I'm ready for baptism yet, let me just, again, potentially change the way you think about baptism. Please hear my heart in this. Imagine somebody ready to, to, to marry you. Hey, hon, i I'm excited. Hey, baby, sweetie, whatever you call them, snookums, I don't know. And, and, and you, yeah, snookums. And, and so, so you, you, you say, let's get married, let's do this. But I'm not ready to go public just yet. How many of you would be like, well, let's, let's get married anyways. We'll take our chances. We'll see what happens, you know. It makes no sense. Now, the, the ring isn't necessary for required for the marriage. It doesn't marry you. But the ring says, publicly, I'm married. And that's what baptism does. Why would you want to marry Christ and then say, but I'm not ready to go public yet? If you're really wanting to follow Christ, my urge to you is go public as fast as you can. Consider the cost before you ever make the decision to follow. But once you make the decision to follow, be committed to your decision. Amen? Another reason for a disciple to be baptized is simple. Their rabbi was. Jesus was baptized. And that is example enough for us to likewise be baptized. And so today, if you have not been baptized and you want to be baptized and you're thinking, I should do this. I want to go public. We have extra shirts and all kinds of stuff that you're going to need to get baptized today. So you just join in and say, I want to get baptized. And if, if we can't hear you, just jump in the water yourself and we'll, we'll know what that means. <laughs> you just get in the water. Amen. Go public today. All right, the third one is fill with the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, these are not requirements for salvation. However, these are biblical truths for discipleship. Am I a disciple? That's what I'm hoping you're working through today. Are you born again? Have you been baptized? Okay, let's go to the third one. Filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, I'm going to give you three scriptures, and I'll do a small teaching on this. Luke 4.1. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. And we, we, we want to be like our rabbi. We don't want to just know the rabbi. We want to be like him. And Jesus was full of the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit, right, into the wilderness. Acts 1.8, Jesus is talking, but when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. There's something you need here that you're going to have to wait on, Jesus says. Wait upon receiving my spirit, Holy Spirit, wait on it. It's going to give you the tool called power, the dynamis that you're going to need, this dynamite, this power, this energy. It's going to give you all the things that you need to do. So wait until you get the power, though. Evidently to Jesus, you need this thing called his spirit. John, 15, John 14, 15 says, if you love me, obey my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. The word advocate is a Greek word, parakletos, which means called to one's aid or called to one's side. Like a helper who will never leave you. Some people call it the counselor. Right? He is the Holy Spirit who will lead into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. and doesn't even recognize him. 
Now he says, but you. If you have a Bible and you're taking notes, come on, church, take notes, think about this. But you, circle you, but, but you. Who's, who's you? Well, John is writing to disciples. He's saying this is about in the context of discipleship and knowing him. If you're a disciple of Christ, this is different for you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if he's your rabbi, if he's your master, here's for you. But you know him. Because he lives with you. Now, he lives with you. He's on earth. He's physically walking. He's with us. He's amongst us. But soon, he won't be here physically. He says, but rather, he will be in you. So how could we, as disciples, somehow show up to church locations and gatherings and somehow function in a way that we don't think being filled with the Spirit is biblical. Where do you see that? I propose to you that a biblical basis of truth for true disciples is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now where people get really weird with this stuff is, is they mean filled with the Holy Spirit means you have to make certain sounds or fall on the floor like a crying baby or something. I don't know. There's all kinds of weird things about it, and I've said it for years. The Holy Spirit, I know, and the Holy Spirit is not weird. But I have said it a thousand times in my preaching over 15 years, and I say the same line, but I have discovered more and more and more and more truth to what I'm about to tell you in ministry of 15 years. Six of those now as a senior pastor, I can tell you people are weird. I, I meet a lot of weird people. Most of us have seen weird people. We know weird people, and some of us are friends with weird people. And we're married to, no, we're not married to weird people. But. So, we work with weird people. So, so, just because people are weird doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is weird. What I hope to break the cycle in your mind is, I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. Yeah. Yes, of course you do. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Why wouldn't you want to be also, you tell me, Dean? I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. Why would I want to be filled? What does the Holy Spirit help the disciple do? Two verses. Galatians 5 says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anybody... You be better at love, better at joy, better at patience, better at kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you actually think you can do this by yourself? Have you ever tried to be kind and it just didn't work out that way? You ever tried to be patient and you, you really tried, but you just lost your cool? Yeah. Yeah. Gentle. You know? We need help. It's okay to say, yeah, I need help with this stuff. And Jesus goes, I know you need help with this. That's why I'm sending you my spirit. And my spirit will help you produce this kind of life. So we need them. We want to be full of these things. Look at John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you. We're supposed to love like Jesus loves? What? That's a whole nother level. So you must. 
I'm not suggesting you do this, Jesus said. I'm, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my Talmudim. You are my disciples. How? The way you love one another. If you love one another. We need the Holy Spirit to help us love. So, point, the Holy Spirit helps us, helps disciples carry out the mission of Christ as we live like Christ. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives. We want to walk in the fullness of God. We want the fullness of Him. Who here wants two-thirds of God? I'll just... Take God the Son. I don't know about the Holy Spirit yet. That's kind of weird for me. Well, then you'll get 66% of the manifestation of God. Right? So it's like, we want the fullness of God. We want to be like our rabbi. All right, number four, living like Jesus. Discipleship. This is the best uh, definition or whatever that I read through and, and kind of pieced together. Um, and I think this will help you. The best way maybe even defining disciples or uh, what discipleship is. So living like Jesus, number four. I think disciples live like Jesus. It's evident in Scripture. It's clear to me that disciples live like him. So discipleship is a journey someone goes through to become more like Jesus. It is a process. Notice it's not a class. It's a process through which they learn more about God, his word, and grow in spiritual maturity but I think this is a huge one, and they make more disciples. How many disciples have you made? How can we call ourselves a disciple, and yet we don't make any? I mean, disciples' commission is to make new disciples. Go back to Matthew 28. He says, new disciples. Hence, these disciples will make new disciples. It's, that's the calling of disciples, to make new disciples. Now, does that mean you all need to have your own little flock and my little disciples? It can get really weird. I told you that. No. How you go about making those disciples is important. Ephesians 1, 15 through 17. This is the verse that anchors into the mission of Brave Church. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you, and I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Many other verses support spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is an absolute necessity in Scripture. It's not necessarily required for salvation, spiritual growth, but it's a, it's a, it's a part of the process of a disciple to grow, to become more like Christ. With each passing day, we aim to be more and more and more and more like him. You think about that. How many of you are going to reach that goal ever in your lifetime? None of you. Let me just save you the right there. You don't have to answer. None of you will ever reach that. The day you actually become like him, you become him, you'll never become him. You're on your journey to be like him. And you won't be like him till, till we're all together in the glorious presence of his presence without sin. Then there we can... Be in his presence without sin. And so in this time, we're here on earth to reveal him to the world. We fight against the flesh and we let the spirit make the decisions in our hearts. We fight off temptations of the world. And we're in this struggle between flesh and spirit, right? Yeah. We live like Jesus. 
and strive to be generous like him and to love like him, to be patient like him, to be kind like him, to be slow to anger like him, to be strong like him, to be courageous like him. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. To be a husband like he would have been a husband, like he is a husband to his church. Think about how he loves his church. You know what Ephesians 5 says? Husbands, submit to your wives and love your wives as Christ loved the church. I mean, just think about it, dads, how he fathers you. How are you doing in comparison to God as your father? You know? When was the last time Jesus yelled at you? Chances are never. Yet his yes is yes and his no is no. And that's enough. He's a loving dad. And what would the world look like if we had dads just like Jesus? This is what we're on a mission to do, dads. And I could go on and on to all parents and families. It's to be like him. It's a process. It's a journey. Would you just tell your neighbor to feel free right now and say, it's a journey. I'm on a journey. Give me grace. And if you're the husband, just turn to your wife and say, give me grace. I'm on a journey. I'm, I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey. All right, number five, the last one, intentionality. Okay, intentionality. Don't you realize... Now, let me just say this. This is a scripture, 1 Corinthians 9. So I think, again, these are the four things I've talked about, and this is the fifth one that I think is a biblical truth for discipleship. If you're going to become a disciple of Jesus, I think you've got to be born again. I see that in scripture. Baptism seems to make clear sense to me. Fill with the Holy Spirit. A person wants to live like Jesus. It's, all those things seem absolutely, uh, whether clear in scripture, at least at minimal, implied in scripture. But, but this one, I think, is it's implied. It's, there's no words you'll find. and You don't see the word intentionality in the Bible, but I, gosh, you see it certainly implied. And I'll use one scripture here to help it out, although there's lots of scripture that would talk about intentionality. It says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. I love that. I, I, in fact, I show my kids this. So they play sports. I'm like, see, it's not all about fun. It's about winning. Anyways, you <laughs> know. Run to have fun, you know. Get the participation ribbon. No, we, we go to win. Amen? Yeah. To all the moms and dads yelling now for their child this weekend at sports. Win! We're not losers. Okay. Amen? We don't want to lose. There's that. Yeah, go for the gold. Verse 25, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. This is Paul's writing. So just wrote this statement up. We'll put it on the screen. So just to help you kind of see the picture, Olympics are going on right now, so it kind of makes sense. So no different than an Olympian who trains makes an intentional commitment to win an earthly prize. That's true. It's an intentional commitment. And I know he's retired, but Tom Brady made, uh, okay, intentional commitments to win earthly prizes. Um, I will continue to reference him when it comes to things like this throughout my lifetime, probably. A disciple, <laughs> bad teaching. A disciple 
trains and makes an intentional commitment to obtain an eternal prize. This is really, really important that we get this today, especially where we are in our culture and the way we live and function. Can I encourage you with this word today? You cannot become a disciple by accident. It is an intentional, and the word that I think so many people are afraid of is commitment. Discipleship, biblically, is a commitment. And it's an intentional decision. When those disciples decided to leave their jobs, to follow Jesus into an unknown territory, to lay their head at night with nowhere to lay, no soft pillow here, go let the dead bury their own dead, follow me. Only carry a couple things with you. And 11 of them be killed for their faith and murdered, have their heads chopped off. It takes an intentional commitment. No half hearted Christianity here. You're in or you're out. You marry me or you don't. Don't join marriages saying, well, we'll see how this thing goes. Talmudim, disciples. So what do we do? It's the church mission universally, make disciples who make new disciples. This is the mission of the church now and forevermore. So what do we do? Church, we make disciples. That's what we're to do. It's not to allow people to sit and just gather or watch online. It's no, you're here if you're watching online. We're trying to help you become a disciple of Christ. Discipleship, I think, is something that we could do better at. Right here in this house. I'm not speaking publicly, universally for every church. I speak for our church. And so what does Brave Church do? Well, we make disciples. And we say it like this. Okay? And it says our mission, this is the how we phrase make disciples. We could simply just say make disciples and it would make sense, but we kind of expand it out a little more. Our mission is to equip a community of people to grow in their knowledge of God. I didn't misspell there. Yes, I did. Okay. I just noticed that. I'm like, oh, I misspelled there. There it goes. Doesn't make it invalid. It's still there. <laughs> to grow in their knowledge of God and make him known by the way they live. Now, we've used the word better before just because that was the NIV translation. NLT translation says grow in their knowledge of God. I think the word grow is intentional, so I'm going to leave it in there. So let me just unpack this for just a second. The mission. Well, we know what the mission is, right? Make disciples. So our mission. That's why we use the word mission. It's a co-mission. To equip a community of people. So let's unpack the word equip. Equip means to train. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I'll unpack that later on in the series, but we're to train, to build up, to encourage, to support, to spur one another on, all kinds of words like this. So that's why we use the word equip. A community. The community is the Greek word ekklesia. It means gathering. 
So it's a gathering of people. It's what we do here on Sundays. And so these aren't Sunday services. We're going to change the language to gathering. It's in a service. We're not here to just put on a show for you, perform something for you. This is where the saints gather. The disciples gather. They gather together and they share worship and honor to God and give glory to God for all that God has done. Amen? That's the point of the ecclesia. It's a gathering of people who love the Lord and devoted to Him and called to Him. It's a beautiful thing. You're not in sin, by the way, if you say service. Oh, no, I said service. No, I get it. It's just a little context there. It's a gathering of people. That's why we use the word community here. A community of people. We're not here to help save the whales. For all of you people who want to save the whales or uh, all of the puppies, um, we're not here to reach animals, okay? We're here for the people, amen? We're here for people. We've got to do something about those whales. I'm all for saving those, but we're here about people. That's why we use people, all right? In their, to grow in their knowledge of God, so to grow, we want you to grow. We want you to be more like Christ, and that's requiring growth. So we want to push you forward to the next things that you need to do to grow more like Christ, which takes all kinds of things like accountability, right? Somebody else to point out blind spots to help you grow in your relationship with God. And then ultimately to make him known by the way you live. That's what a Talmudim is. That's what a disciple is, to make you known by the way they live their life daily. Not just by your church attendance, not just by the way you live your daily life in your home, in your work environment, when you leave your home, to live like him. To make him known is to bring glory to him, right? The word to reveal God's glory to the world, and our daily life should reveal who God is to the world around us, and that's what we do. So the next few weeks, I want to talk to you more about how we do it, too. We're going to talk about my role in that journey. We're going to talk about your role and your responsibility in that journey together as a church as we move forward and discuss all things church. And I'll wrap it up with one final thought, and then we'll close in prayer. And so one thing that we're going to do, we have did this in the beginning and kind of got away from it for a while. The past couple of years, since 2020, we haven't really brought it back up and... Um, met with the staff and talked about it and have been thinking about it for a couple of months now and something we're going to encourage everyone to do. For us here at Brave Church, we need an intentional way of trying to help make this happen. And so we're going to do something that we call, some of you never heard about this before, but some of you have, but Brave Track. But it's reshaped and it's reformed and it's all brand new. So you can't look back and say, well, I did something six years ago. That doesn't count. That's irrelevant. I want every person in this church who calls Brave Church family, this is your home. This is the church that you want to grow in, go through what we're going to call and have called and will call Brave Track. And the reason behind this is we need to get much, much better at making disciples. And that takes intentionality. Intentionality by you and intentionality by us. And so let me walk through these briefly with you. No uh, is going to be the first part of this. We're going to do this in uh, one sitting, we're going to try it out, not having to do it four separate days. We're going to do it in one sitting. It'll take place after services, and then it'll give you opportunity to be a part of the Brave Track. So uh, all in one day, we'll, we'll do it together. It'll probably go for about two hours. We'll have lunch provided for you to sit through, and we'll share lunch, and then we'll go through this together. So the first one is no, and you see the little hyphens next to it, just kind of a little summary. We get to know you and where you are, and you see testimony and next steps. 
And leading the church for six years, something we realize this, everybody comes from different angles of life, different backgrounds, church backgrounds, history, pain, struggle, strife, giftings, all kinds of stuff. And so we want a place to get to know you and where you are. Maybe you're just beginning in faith. Maybe you really don't even know how to read the Bible, or maybe you read the Bible a ton, you went to seminary and this whole thing, and like, you know, I mean, all kinds of different people and walks of life. And so we believe that people matter and you matter, like you individually matter. We don't want just like, I have zero desire of just building an attendance. It's not just building an attendance, it's making disciples. Jesus said the mission is not go get a big attendance. He didn't even say go get a big followers. He says go make disciples. Amen? We see it clear. So to do that, we need an intentional process to do that. So it's going to get real serious around here, and I need your partnership, invite you to partner with me in this way, in this desire to make disciples. And so I'm asking you to also not only do this as well if you call this place home, but others that consider calling this home or you bring or invite that we drive everyone through Brave Track. Why? Because they matter and we want to help get to know them where they are in their faith journey. Amen? We want to know where you are. So we'll walk through testimonies. We'll walk through some things within that class. All right, grow is going to be another part to that, how we can equip you to grow in your knowledge of God. And, and you see the gospel next to it. This breaks my heart and I could spend hours preaching on this one right here, but... Nothing breaks my heart more than to know somebody who's sat in a pew or a seat for numbers of years. And when I ask them, what is the gospel? And their answer is, well, Jesus died for our sins. And they know nothing past that. Or I meet with Christians who are, I believe, saved by grace. And I say, tell me the gospel. And they say, I really don't know how to explain it. That is like the hardest thing for me to hear. As your shepherd, as the pastor, like I am held accountable to God for your spiritual growth. I, I see some accountability in scripture that I'm held accountable for the way that I teach. And I just can never imagine going to the Father one day and just thinking, man, I didn't do everything in my power to make sure that you know the gospel. I'm telling this church recently, our staff, I told them, I said, we got to stop microwaving the gospel. Like we shove it in in like five minutes sometimes at the end of a service and like people don't even understand the gospel, like the, the whole thing we're supposed to share. And I'm all for teaching and different topics and all of that stuff. We, we, we need a, a diverse diet as sheep and we feed on different things, but we've got to know the gospel. And so I know that we should be a gospel-centric centric church that you understand the gospel that you would feel so empowered that I want you to walk out of here in, in your life and wherever you go and say, if I've ever given the chance to share the gospel, I know how to do that without a shadow of a doubt, without a, a moment of hesitancy, a question whether I'm wrong or right. And so we'll walk through each and every person in this church will know the gospel. And you can't microwave it in 30 seconds at the end of a service and expect somebody to get it. This is why with young people and adults, I've seen it. They get baptized, and the next Sunday on the front row, I'm telling you it happens all the time, raising their hand for salvation again. And I'm not making fun of anyone. I actually think I failed you in those moments. How in the world would you raise your hand for salvation when you got baptized last Sunday? 
It's happened in this own church, and I take full responsibility for that. Where did you mishear that? How would you be baptized without ever understanding the gospel? What are we doing? And so we're just not going to microwave it. We're going to take time to make sure that every person, and if you say, well, I already know the gospel, good. We want to hear you tell us it again because it's good news, and we love good news. And the good news never gets old. Discover the role in your church in life. We'll talk about that, what it means to belong to a church family. Part of that will become part of membership in our church. And I'll have to unpack that later on. don't have time today, but we'll unpack it in context of here that we're going to begin membership in our church family. And I think that's, that the, I know the word membership is not in Scripture, but the word member is. I think that's clear. It's implied, and we can talk about that, and we'll talk about that. But belonging to the church and what the benefits are and the, the beauty of the church so we'll unpack that in this class so people understand and then go make a difference how we make a difference together from our serves to missions to all different things that we do so we're going to unpack everything within this two hour uh, meeting together and so I want to encourage you to be a part of that would love for you to be a part of that and so the first one uh, we're going to do uh, is March 6th. There's a kids meeting, I believe. So March 13th, if you can mark that on your calendar, we're going to do that after service. And we'll potentially add another date as well, maybe the first Sunday in April. I think it's April the 3rd, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that. But we'll, we'll, we'll put these dates out there over the next few weeks. We'll give you a couple of opportunities to sign up for maybe two or three of these in the coming weeks. Um, so you can pick one that works well for you. And so the first one, I think we'll do March 13th. I don't see a conflict on our calendar for that. So if you want to join us for March 13th after service, we'll do that together as a church family.